Though America prides itself on being this bustling melting pot of cultures, the term melting pot suggests homogeneity. Now, if you ask me, obviously as an expert in the field, the outcome is an indistinguishable sludge where the intricacies and beauty of individual cultures are muddled and one dominant ingredient oftentimes drives the recipe. The beauty of our culture, in my opinion, is in our differences. Not necessarily the differences that drive us apart, but the differences that encourage us to learn about each other. Now, have you ever heard of the term third culture kid or TCK for short? Let me get this straight. You were born in Egypt. Yes. You grew up in Ireland. Yes. Your first language is French. We. Oui. Your parents are from the Congo and Senegal and your mom's a Christian. Your dad's a Muslim. You lived in Atlanta and now you live in New York. Yes. Why? I don't know. Welcome to the Social Archive. So third culture kid refers to children who were raised or spent a considerable amount of time outside of their parents' country of origin. Um, It's not necessarily the same as being a child of an immigrant parent, but third culture kid refers to those kids who have like a breadth of cultural experiences just by nature of not having been brought up in their parents' country. Um, Studies suggest that a person's experiences with diversity will determine their views on diversity. And for third culture children, diversity is kind of their only reality. So from a young age, they're active members of our global society and oftentimes possess an intercultural competence far greater than most of us. Now, remember my friend Atri from episode one. Obviously, you don't know her name, but she would be considered a third culture kid. My dad, working for the oil industry, I also had to travel a lot around the Middle East. I lived in Africa for six years. Now, the idea of living in a world where your immediate worldview seems limitless intrigued me. But it also got me thinking about the struggles that might come from being pulled not just by like two cultures, but three, four, five, or even more worlds. Obviously, there's so much beauty and diversity, but what happens when your culture of origin becomes a smaller and smaller and smaller portion of your worldview as you start collecting other worldviews? So for those who don't know, Atri um, gave me a response to the montage where the question posed was what is your relationship with culture yours stood out to me because i've only ever known you from an american context and you also don't have the strongest accent but and you feel kind of american to me i'm a very american yeah yeah, but at the same time you've grown up in so many different environments Mm -hmm. and so you always have something to say about everything like i'll bring something up about a different country and be like actually (laughs) (laughs) and i'll be like i'm so uncultured i cannot relate um and that's just by nature of you having lived in not just different countries but like different continents Mm -hmm. um so i guess kind of talk to me about your cultural upbringing and why you had moved to each place yeah I am an international student in the United States of America. The United States. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I've been here for almost six years now. I came here for my undergrad and I did my master's. Prior to that, I lived in Egypt, did my high school there. And prior to that, my, like, 
um, I, I guess middle school to elementary school-ish phase. Mm-hmm. I was in Oman, um, which is a country right below the UAE by like the Gulf Coast. And prior to that, I lived in India. And the reason I moved around a lot was because my dad worked for the oil industry. So he um, kind of bounced around from company to company. Um, we bounced around a couple of states in India before we uh, he started working for Shell, which is like the big international oil company. And since then, every four years as an quote unquote expat, you are by the expat law requirements are not allowed to stay for more than four years. Oh, wow. And so usually because they really liked working with my dad, they would kind of push some boundaries and let him stay for like an extra one or two years, making it sometimes six years. But uh, typically I would spend about four to six years per location. And now I'm in America and I'm about to hear my six year mark and I'm terrified of the move <laughs> countries again. Yeah. I mean, you've, you've stayed in a country yeah. not even that long. So like staking your grounds in America, I'm sure it's kind of weird to um, you. It has been my mom's like dream that I do that, <laughs> like the American dream. Yeah. But like since I'm getting closer to the six year mark, I would, like part of me is like, wow, I've not had a home in so long that claiming America as my home yeah. is terrifying because what if I have to leave in six years yeah. or something like that? But yeah, um, that is just a general preview of all the places <laughs> I've lived in. But I've also had the opportunity to kind of travel around a lot, um, living closer to a lot of European countries mm-hmm. and um, Asian countries. Traveling is a lot cheaper um, than it is in America and granted working for oil my parents were able to afford a lot of luxuries Mm -hmm. and um give me the opportunity to travel and experience a lot of culture so I've had the opportunity to travel around some countries in Africa some countries in um Europe Asia not much but just very slightly you're kind of like a chameleon it's like yeah. you kind of adapt really really and I'm I'm only speaking from an American standpoint Mm -hmm. because when I see you, I'm like, Atri's American. Interestingly enough, it wasn't actually because I had to travel so often in different countries or had the opportunity to visit different countries for long terms. It was mainly because I, when I moved to Egypt, uh, one of the things that like really disappointed my parents was that they were not able to send me to an Indian school. Like They were able to send my brother when we were in Oman. And I had to go to a British school. And a lot of these British schools um, have like really, really, really rich Egyptian kids. Or they have um, other expat students like me. So a lot of my friends who were from all around the world, mm. some from America, some from Europe, some from Asia, and Indian like myself as well. Um, they would come. I would get to hang out with them, be really close with them for like a couple of years, get to learn about their culture become really close with their family and then they eventually move on Mm. and that was eventually my case as well like I graduated and I moved on so you're saying because you got so much exposure to different types of cultures as a result of that you were able to adapt because there's just so many types of people around you yeah so like A key point to highlight outside of the fact that when I got to live in different countries, my parents, being the traditional Indian people that they are, um, they had a hard time letting me just kind of go out of my shell and explore. They were very protective over me. And on top of that, um, there's always the fear of 
you know, us being expats and these countries tend to have like a higher, at least the two countries I lived in, had the potential of expats being kidnapped for um, ransom. And so my parents were really protective. And sadly, until I was, I graduated college, oh, not college, high school, my parents were very frightened to let me go out of my way to explore Egyptian like nightlife Mm -hmm. and what a average Egyptian kid does at my age and I wouldn't say average it's mostly like the Egyptian kids I got to hang out with who tend to be the upper middle class to like upper class people Mm -hmm. but I just never got to experience what they did because I was always put in this bubble of protection which a lot of expats kids like myself um, experienced. So even though you lived in Egypt you wouldn't say that you had like an Egyptian experience at all? I think I was sheltered a lot from the Egyptian experience. I mean, I got to experience living in that city Mm -hmm. and I got to eat a lot of the cultural foods, adapt and learn a bit about the language, learn a lot about um, the hospitality practices that um, Egyptian family have Mm -hmm. and some cultural things, but not to the extent I wish I could have just because my parents were slightly uh, protective over me mm-hmm. and wanted to make sure and prioritize my safety, um, which is fair on their end, um, especially because Shell literally puts the fear of God into you. Yeah. So it's, uh, and that's something um, that they were afraid of. But really a lot of my cultural experiences came from my friends who were from different countries. And a lot of times, with at least when you're um, Asian, you're told to kind of listen to what the, people whose like whose houses you're going to because you're a guest Mm. and follow whatever culture and expectations that they're doing if they say take your shoes and socks off or like put on house slippers that's what you do you don't question it I feel that and so um a lot of times they you just kind of accept their um cultures and that was my taste of different cultures like Egyptian culture um and also um Dutch Norwegian any kind of cultures I experienced was because of how uh, welcoming these families were to me yeah I feel that like growing up my own parents whenever I would have friends over it's like oh you're like for example greeting in a Nigerian household is very 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 important so when you go to a Nigerian household there's a very specific way that you greet parents and if the um if your friends come in and they're not greeting your parents appropriately, like, hello, sir. I mean, obviously, they don't expect you to, like, so in Nigeria, we um, we do, like, a little curtsy. We do a little bow. And sometimes men will even, we call it dobale. Like, they'll, like, lie down on the ground mm-hmm. in order to greet the parents. Yeah. And so, obviously, they don't expect it to that extent. Of course, But yeah. they do expect as an extension of you, if mm-hmm. they're if you're bringing your friend into this cultural household, mm-hmm. they better also be following this these cultural rules that we've set yeah. in place. Exactly. I mean, a lot of times the I think the most like outer body experience I had, which was like a cultural shock that I had to kind of water down and not have a reaction to, was mm-hmm. I had a friend. Uh, she was from um, Holland and. She, be it a very nice person she was, I never saw her parents. <laughs> what does that mean? I knew her for two years. I do not know what her parents look like. Not until not until I moved, I, like, visited her in Holland. Like, my, my dad had to go there for some sort of, like, oh, okay. exams or something. And I had gone 
to Holland and I was like, hey, I want to see you. She was like my best friend at that point. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I actually, for the first time ever, saw her parents because her parents were just not like that was just their culture. You know, they were they're like usually their kids are roaming about free. And she was one of those people who was allowed to like go out and do all these things. And her, her parents were not as like tight knit and protective over her um, because culturally speaking, they're a lot more independent and individualistic. Mm-hmm. Um and so, like, usually with, like, my parents, you know, if my friends are visiting, they'll have, like, food and um, they'll have, like, food and, you know, you're not supposed to wear slippers in the house. They'll meet, you're, they'll say, hi, come say right. hi to your friends at the very least, um, give you the privacy and everything. But with her parents, they just did yeah. not exist. Peace. They were ghosts <laughs> in the background. Like, they, she spoke of her, but I don't know who they are. I slept over this girl's house and I don't know what her parents did. <laughs> parents looked like nothing she would just like order takeout if i was hungry but that was just her their culture and do you feel like that's how it was for a lot of the expat like kids that lived in i guess egypt yeah no a hundred percent like i had um the most like adaption of different culture happened between like my four core friends that i graduated with um a French girl, Norwegian girl, and a German girl, and me, four of us, best of friends, because we're both, ex- all four of us are expats, and all four of our parents are super overprotective, <laughs> and will not let us step out, um, and so we all hung out together, and they had to adapt a lot of my culture, like, all three of them didn't require me to take my shoes off when I went to their house, but eventually it got to a point where they knew once they entered my house shoes are off mm. like I didn't have to ask them to take their shoes off yeah. this was like a unspoken rule and immediately they would go greet my parents like you said like it's not like mm-hmm. a specific kind of greeting they don't even have to say like call them auntie or anything mm-hmm. oh just hi and I mean there's also like um an adaption that my mother had to do was in English, um, calling someone an like auntie or uncle is saying that they're blood related. Okay. So you have to usually yeah. you address them with Mister or Mrs. last name. And my mother, for the longest time, was like, "You should call me on. They should call me auntie." And so she really like felt uncomfortable, and she's a lot better now about it. And like being called um, auntie isn't like the biggest deal so she understands that now but that was something she had to learn yeah. and even my friends eventually were like never mind your auntie yeah. like, this, is, this is clearly <laughs> an uncomfortable off, interaction auntie. between us would you say that because um your friends were all from different walks of life that you all kind of became more culturally sensitive in a way like you're obviously you're a little bit more accepting of different cultures and not as quick to dismiss certain cultural practices because it's like none of us are really from the same place so we right. gotta be a little sensitive I think the sensitivity came with the fact that a lot of times um, a lot of us would kind of bond over parts of our cultures that we didn't agree with that our parents have been brought up with because you know like a lot of times culture over time gets watered down we take parts that we love mm-hmm. and appreciate and let go of parts that don't really match the energy of our mm-hmm. new, new time mm-hmm. and um there's always that generational disconnect with your parents of them not understanding why you're letting go of this part of culture yeah. um and understanding some aspects of their cultural experiences or like some sort of like 
shocks that they have experienced and how it affected them mentally Mm -hmm. is what made us more sensitive. Not necessarily just like, oh, clearly, like, I'm not supposed to take off my shoes. I don't need to take off my shoes at your place, but you need to take it off at mine. Like, that kind of stuff is just kind of makes us more cognizant Mm -hmm. of like, okay, you need to be aware of this other person's cultural experience and be, like, aware of it. But the sensitivity and the empathy towards it came from the fact that, wow, like, all of us are, to an extent, uh, have been a victim of aspects of culture that, like, we don't agree with. Mm. And having that sensitivity is, like, what allowed us to kind of be like, okay, this isn't our place to judge. Mm. So, like, what is your relationship currently with, your Indianness, <laughs> honestly, for the longest time, and I think this is something I highlighted in yeah. one of my messages. Um, I had the hardest time connecting with my Indian self because you speak the language, though. I mean, you speak Assamese. I speak Assamese um, because at home I like to speak Assamese, yeah. and I understand Hindi. And if I've had enough shots, I will start speaking <laughs> in Hindi. And if I'm sleep deprived enough, I'll start speaking in Hindi. So I have to be absolutely delirious to start speaking this language. But I do understand it, and once I get comfortable, I can speak it. And I, for the longest time, had a hard time connecting with my Indian culture because of a lot of cultural trauma I I experienced. And not to say that this was not, this wasn't because of being in India. This is like a lot of um, systematic things that are being put into in like in Asian culture and overall. And me, one, wanting to pull away from that pain from my culture Mm. and two, having friends from more of a Western culture Mm -hmm. and also in general, the general glamorization of Western culture Mm -hmm. outside of the U.S. and Europe, like the main reason why people migrate to all these countries. The glamorization of Western culture made me more inclined to believing and accepting a very Western culture and a Western side of me. So... Now I have kind of reeled back a little bit, recognize that, you know, there are aspects of my culture I really love and it's not a very unary black and white kind of situation. You can be two, you can be a mixture of two, and it's not that you have to be a specific mixture of two. You can be any combination of anything and it's still unique to you and you can label it what you feel the closest to. So yeah, I am significantly more in touch with my Indian culture than I used to be Mm. but I did at one point lose it I feel like that's one aspect about parents who obviously are from their original country don't quite understand about bringing their kids to a different country or Mm -hmm. raising them in a different country like obviously it's not that we're um purposefully losing our culture it's not that like I mean, speaking for myself, it's not that we hate it or don't want to connect. Like, we're doing as much as we can in order to connect, but we're in a different country. Yeah. Just naturally, Mm -hmm. we're going to adapt to that different country. Yeah, 100%. I feel like um, something me and my parents have addressed, and this is a complete tangent to uh, what we've talked about, a trauma both my parents and I had to heal over was the fact that they had a really difficult time raising me than they did with my brother like my brother uh basically grew up and graduated while we were graduated from high school while we were in India and we went to an Indian school so he was very much still exposed to a lot of Indian culture um and then he graduated and went to India for his uh college versus for me 
I had to go to an American school. Now, my parents had to make a switch from raising that Indian <laughs> kid. Like, you're, yes, we're not in India, but we were very much in a very Indian community. Oman has a really high population of Indian people and an insane amount of Indian schools. So they were still very much in Indian culture, even though it was a different country. Yeah. Now they had the shock of, like, <laughs> there are these white girls that, like... There are these white guys that are like, hey, can I sleep over at your daughter's house tonight? And they're like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? Can you sleep over? No it's, like, it's like in the group, right? Like my parents were like hesitant with the idea of sleepovers in general. In general yeah. Like they were like, that is weird as hell. But then on top of that, they're like four girls and two guys are like, can we all sleep over? And it's like, you're men. What the hell do you mean? Can you sleep over? And it's like it's they had that cultural shock too. They're like, how are how are we to raise her? Yeah. And like at the time, I was like, you're so like lame. Like, you guys won't <laughs> let me do anything. You guys suck. And um, and I was like, why are these European girls allowed to do these things and I'm not? Because you're not European. Because <laughs> you're not European. <laughs> and I mean, and they had, you know, like now, um, actually realized that once I came to the U.S., they had every right to feel the way they yeah, did. No, and like I've it. had these conversations with my parents. Like, I was like, damn, both you and I mm-hmm. were going through the same cultural shock. Mm-hmm. And it was my mother who had to, uh, bless her heart, she's very, a lot more open-minded of a person that I used to perceive her as, she had to really calibrate to like adapt to me and like do what's beneficial for me. So she really had to like sleepovers, for example, being more comfortable with like letting me go for sleepovers, prom nights and parties, Um, me wearing bikinis, which was like a big thing. Mm. If if, like people don't understand, like me wearing a bikini was really hard for her. Um, Buying me things that were not more buying Western. you granny panties. Not buying me granny <laughs> panties that she got from some Indian market in the bulk. Like it was. It, these are she's like. I remember the. This is. I remember the first time something like this had to happen where she was like, I could just get this from an Indian market, like the sports bras, yeah. right? But I was like, I want a proper Victoria's Secret bra, and so she's like, I remember her standing there. She's going. Ah. this is her skin like now looking back it looked like her skin was crawling and she's like 15 why does she need this at the time i was like i was just like i'm finally part of this culture and that's like that's it's like um the adjustment my mother had to make and eventually my father made to help me kind of be more well-rounded in culture i suppose all right how old were you when you came to america Oh, you came for school. I came for school. So I was 18 by the time I moved here mm-hmm. of legal age. What were the cultural differences? I'm sure there's... So I thought... A okay. few. I America's thought, crusty dusty. No, listen it's to a, me. It's a third world country in a Gucci belt. <laughs> I thought... Here's the thing. I th- have you watched the movie Pitch Perfect? Yeah. I really thought people broke out into musicals like that. <laughs> I came to college and I was like, I'm going to join a acapella group and like acapella people are going to be singing around everywhere and there's going to be auditorium where people are just drinking and getting drunk. And it's just like, it was not like that. (laughs) I was shocked. That was my cultural shock. Pitch Perfect is not a great representation of what college experience is like. I don't think many American movies are good at representing. To an extent. To to an an extent. extent. I like, I think a lot of it... I think the main cultural shock I had was 
how um, people always, like, portray Americans, like, in movies as, like, not very cognizant of other people's, like, cultural and Ooh. upbringing and, like, not not to say rude, but just, like, not cognizant. But it's true to an extent. Like, it is true to an extent. True. I mean, it's definitely true. And, I, and I, I've seen both sides of everything mm. and, like the utter shock and disbelief of like every time I'm talking to someone it's like oh where are you from oh I'm an international student and they're like what (laughs) what do you mean (laughs) and then like on top of that like they'll be like oh where are you from see well I'm Indian but I was like and like Mm -hmm. the same what that's crazy and it's like it's still coming from a good place and I mean it was I was always under the impression of like Americans being very um ignorant and um unaware of other cultures but I it's it was it was just like a very negative like a every American was like that yeah obviously not every American was like no but my experiences I had a friend like it was two of us one of the the friends was from Senegal and then obviously I'm Nigerian and then our guy friend was like oh so that girl is African and you're Nigerian right yeah baby I had a friend who thought um Dubai was in Latin America she did not know that Dubai was in um like not that far from us like Mm -hmm. it was in uh, the uh, you it was like you know part of uae Mm -hmm. and everything and the middle east but she was just like she thought it was in latin america like that perception of ignorance isn't necessarily true and the amount you also were in like a upper educational institution so hopefully fingers crossed people are a little bit more yeah no a hundred percent and i think it was also the amount of diversity I did see. Oh, yeah. Granted, I grew up watching a lot of English movies because my mother loved movies and mm-hmm. she learned English from watching movies and reading English books and everything. And um, a lot of these movies <laughs> had white people in it. Mm-hmm. And so I really thought there were like two black people in this country <laughs> and like oh, one you Asian. You must love and basketball. Well, these are in the movie. These are in the movies like make. <laughs> <laughs> these are in the movies that make it internationally though you know what i mean yeah. like it's like all a lot is not a good representation i mean but. no but i'm saying i literally thought in this whole country there was like total of five black people three indian people and like one asian guy and like that's it i thought like when they say minority i thought minority like it was so minor that it was almost non-existent but no it's it's a big population and this is this is what i mean by like oh people are actually a lot more open-minded here because the diversity pool here is actually insane so you have to be slightly more open-minded to other cultures But, but again like that's gonna be your experience even though like PWIs, predominantly white institutions, are mm-hmm. still predominantly white. Mm-hmm. They're still more diverse than they they make up great greater diversity than other parts of America. Oh, a hundred percent. So it's like that is your experience. Other places in America, that is not what you're gonna get. I know. At all. And I've been fortunate enough to only have experienced that like far bad experience um only a couple of times yeah. um obviously that's not everyone's reality and i have continued to be very sheltered mm-hmm. in my life but lucky me i guess <laughs> do you feel like having um having lived in different environments do you feel any 
obviously you're Indian, but do you feel like you've lived in any place long enough to feel a cultural connection to that place? No, honestly, no, I haven't. I mean, even living in India, I barely remember it. I think I left when I was like maybe six years old and visiting my family was my experience of like India. Mm. But one of the things my parents always, so when I was about to finish my master's and I was applying for jobs and finding job, a job right now was like pretty much impossible at the time. One she found the, a job, y'all. I do have a job. <laughs> uh, but prior to that, the stress of it, one of the things my parents were really stressed about is where is home for me? Mm. I don't have a home. Like, I, my mother was up at night, every night, stressed out of her mind, tears in her eyes, because she's like, how is this girl going to survive in India? Cause she's never lived in India. But that's what my passport is. I can't. Um, at my age as a 24 year old woman like they won't let me live as a resident with my parents in whatever country they're living in it's usually after 21 they don't let you sponsor them as a resident and I can't live in the US if I don't have a job Mm. and all these identities of home I've formed does not exist Mm. because that I have to go back to India a place I've not ever really identified as my central home at it's just somewhere where my cultural home is, where my family home is. It's not where I'm home. That's not my home. And I think my parents as well, initially, like, they didn't understand that disconnect until there was the anxiety of, wow, she has to move, she might have to move to India. That really put them in the lens of, wow, she does not have a home at all. Oh, my gosh. But, um, no, I have not lived in a place long enough for me to identify a culture a certain culture and like say that this is country is my home and this mm-hmm. is where I live a lot of them it kind of feels like a temporary location mm-hmm. for me to just coexist in mm-hmm. and a big desire of mine has always been to find a ground that I can call mind like call mine and just build a home there regardless of the country regardless of the country culture this is my home and this is where I will take my last breath like kind of thing like this is (laughs) that's deep i'm just saying like the displacement of it and the lack of connection of a specific country and culture has made has brought the strong desire to kind of settle down yeah how do you feel now you got a job here i mean i'm still feeling a little displaced because nothing's permanent um i get a chance to um get my H-1B1, which is like the permanent residency visa Mm -hmm. or the work visa. I have three opportunities, which is like for the three years. If I don't get it, then I'm displaced again. If I do get it, I have it for six years and maybe they'll apply for a green card for me. And it's the system of like, maybe I'll get it, maybe I'll get it. There's still that uncertainty. Mm. And there's also maybe like I have to, because the company is not really willing to represent me, um, and sponsor me, I might have to move jobs and find a different job in a different state. And the U.S., you know, U.S. itself is a big country. Like, it's a huge country. So it still feels like I'm getting displaced, even if I move to a different state. You're kind of always floating. I'm always floating. And I cannot wait to kind of finally settle down. Drifting through the wind. (laughs) (laughs) Wanting to start again. (laughs) Well... Eventually, I will. Would you ever move back to India? If my parents are so stubborn that that's the gland that they want to die in, I will go with them. Okay. Maybe I'll leave 
afterwards, but if that's where they're like, that's where we want to retire, that's where I'm going. Aww. They're gonna, the, um, the, I'm gonna go off on a tangent. Uh, when I was young, there was this story, I could never find the story again, I've looked for it in and out, but there was a story on an art, on one of these, like, you know, Times India article about a woman who was found in her flat. So, like, her, like, condo, I guess. That's what it's, like, that's what they call in India, flats. Mm-hmm. Um, two days after she died of a heart attack mm-hmm. because of, like, this, like the neighbors got stressed because she wasn't picking up any of the milk and stuff that was being delivered to her. Turns out she was, like, a recent widow. Her husband had just died a few months ago. And her children live in the U.S. Her son lives in the U.S. And... So she would sit by the phone and wait for um, us to call. She Not us, like, sorry. Her she hurts her son to call her. And just she just had a heart attack sitting there by the phone so waiting for her son to call. And the worst part of it is I don't know if it was this specific story or if it was a different story, but the son never even made it to the cremation and funeral or didn't bother to show up or something like that. Granted, it was in times when the U.S. was significantly more stricter about holidays and, like, days off and when you can take days off. A lot nicer about it now, to an extent. But my mother had read that, and her dream was to send us to America. So she had told me, please never do that to me. (laughs) And so when she said that, that's when the decision of, if you go to India, I'm coming to India with you. <laughs> We're both going to die in India, is what like is where it comes from. So that is a situation I would go back home for. Okay. Not because I identify. Oh, the food, actually. I would actually go there back there for food, too. <laughs> the food here is so expensive. Atri has quickly become one of my closest friends here. And while I spend a lot of time with her, we don't always have conversations about our upbringings. Hearing about the beauty of both her innate desire to participate in worlds unlike hers and her yearning to reconnect to home showed me how complex this human experience really is. Cultural immersion and cultural preservation can exist simultaneously, and each of our cultural experiences are unique to us. Share this episode with someone you think would find it interesting. Share your thoughts with me at T-H-E-E Social Archive. That's The Social Archive. And of course, rate and follow the podcast. As always, if you made it this far, I love you. It's so exciting.